Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're well. Yes, if we've not met before, my name is Charlie Salamone, the lead pastor here. Very happy that you're here. Hope you feel welcome. Um, if you are new, you've wandered in in the middle of a series we've been doing on the Old Testament book of Genesis. The book of Genesis has a lot of strange things in it. It's a story of, uh, well, it's, there's a lot of things in Genesis, but it's mostly focused on the story of Abraham and his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob and all their, all, all his kids. And some weeks ago I was here and I gave kind of a quick run through of Jacob's life and I told you that there were some parts of his life that we were going to have to revisit and one of the more colorful aspects of Jacob's life was his his, his love life, if you want to call it that. Uh, Jacob uh, ended up marrying two different sisters at the same time. And, uh, and he actually had a couple other wives in addition to them. And, uh, well, actually, you know what? Let's go ahead and read. Let's just dive into the scripture here. Uh, Genesis 29, beginning in verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. All right, so you might have saw this before if you were with us or if you've read it yourself. I'll tell you in advance. Again, uh, Jacob is going to end up marrying both Leah and Rachel. Rachel is the one he loves, but he's also going to marry Leah. And... It's a sad state for Leah, and you'll see that, but kind of obviously so. It's a sad state. He loves Rachel, but he's going to marry both of them. And actually, when I, I felt bad for her as I was reading it, and I actually wrote down, I wrote down, poor Leah. <laughs> it's true, poor Leah. That's what I wrote down. And that got me thinking. I came across a couple passages here. First Samuel Chapter 2 says, He, God, raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He, sit, he seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. James 2 says, God has chosen what is poor in the world to be rich in faith. Poor Leah. And as we're going to see that God's plan for poor Leah is to make her rich in him. And he has a special plan of honor for Leah set aside for her. But first, and hear this all of you, first, poor Leah has to be made more poor. And you're not going to understand what I mean by that now, but you will understand. Poor Leah has to be made more poor for her to inherit this special blessing. And I bring it up now because this is God's plan for many of us. And once more, you'll understand as I walk through it. How he brings us to this place of being poor in order that he may bless us to be rich in him. Um, this is a good time for me to pray. Father God, help me bring forth your word with clarity, with, with power, with, with truth, so that your character, your call, um, you, so that you may be seen through my speaking, Lord. So that as I talk, you are perceived. You who are alive and are here, I pray that your spirit's power and presence would be known and you would speak to our hearts, Lord. In your name, Jesus, amen. So like I just read, uh, Jacob had these two wives. He ends up with four wives, but we're not going to get into that today. Uh, just hold on, right for a second. Uh, especially 
people who, we have, we have people here from all over the world, which is wonderful. Um, for most people, especially those who were raised in um, the, uh, the, the, the Western Hemisphere, um, uh, polygamy has, for the most part, been eradicated. It's not something that is common. And most of the places where most of you have come from, that is also the case. I know there, there are some places where it's still practiced, and that might be some of your background. I'm going to let you know, right from the start, it was never God's heart for men and women to, to have multiple wives. It was never God's heart, and you see that right from the beginning. Uh, actually, Jesus, Jesus brought attention to that. He was asked about marriage, and what Jesus said was, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. You see, that was God's heart from the beginning, that marriage would be, would be that, one man, one woman, two, become, becoming one flesh, not three or four or, you know, many others. And then, actually... Polygamy was invented later. You see it in Genesis chapter 4. A guy named... Um, oh, now I'm forgetting what his name is. <laughs> uh, but he's in Genesis chapter 4. It'll come to me later. He's the first person to come up with this idea of having more than one wife. And something else about this unique fellow is he was also a murderer. It wasn't a, a, a good loving heart that came up with this idea. Um, it, was, it was selfishness. It was, it was violence. Um, as in it hurts people. It's a, it's, and you don't actually have to be a psychologist to understand that polygamy is going to hurt people. It's in the Bible, and when it's in the Bible, people get hurt, as you're going to see in today's story. And someone is going to wonder, well, if it's bad, then how come God didn't just put a stop to it right away? I mean, you can see in the scripture it's not his heart, but at the same time, you have people like Abraham, he had a couple wives, Jacob, he had four, King David, a mighty man of God, he had a, a good handful of wives, King David's son, Solomon, he wrote part of the Bible. He had a lot of wives. And you don't, in the Old Testament, have any clear time where God steps in and says, stop this nonsense. And many people have wondered why. Some people have wrongly concluded that, therefore, this is a good thing that we should mimic. There's a lot of things people do in the Bible that are not good, that, uh, uh, that doesn't mean we should go ahead and follow. But others, people have just wondered, well, why doesn't God just step in and put a stop to that, right? It's a fair question. You have to understand what God is doing and how he is addressing humanity and the real problems with humanity. You see, many times... Many people wonder, hey, if God is real and God is powerful, why doesn't he just show up and fix all these problems? Because that's essentially what people are saying. If people are hurting each other with things like polygamy, why doesn't he just show up and put a quick stop to it, right? Why doesn't God fix our problems if he's so real? Something a lot of people wonder. Well, the thing is, he's in the business of doing just that. But he wants to fix our problems in the real way. You see, where does, where does something like polyg polygamy originate? I already told you. It comes from selfishness. It comes from, uh, it comes from, from sin. It's oppression. We're going to see that in Leah's story. Poor Leah. It certainly is. It hurts people. Well, God could have just showed up and said, hey, people, stop that. Don't do that. And if he did, what would have happened? 
Well, they probably wouldn't have listened anyways, because that's usually how it works. But let's say they did. Sin would have found another way. Oppression would have found another way. Selfishness would have found another way. I had this image in my head. It's a cartoon you see in a lot of different cartoons, but I thought of like Ice Age. There's a time in the movie where it's like, there's this like, there's this like dam holding back water and there's like a hole in it. And you know, you cover it up and then another hole pops out and then it's like, oh, cover that one up, another pops out. Sin's gonna find another way. If God just comes in and tries to cover up sin with a band-aid, that's not going to actually fix things in the way that he wants to fix things. But God understands what our real problem is. And if he's going to come into this world and fix it, it's got to happen not externally with the rule. It's going to happen internally with a change of heart. And you see, that's why Jesus came, to change our hearts, to speak to our hearts, to fix what's actually broken. And that's his plan for poor Leah. Okay. Um, well, let's just keep reading. Then Jacob said to Laban, okay, so Jacob works for seven years. You know, his, his focus is to marry to marry Rachel, the younger sister. So Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. All right, we went through this a few weeks ago. I just read it again, and once more, if you have questions about what just happened here, so do I. If you didn't catch it, so he thought he was marrying Rachel, and he spent the night with his bride, and in the morning he discovered it wasn't who he thought it was. And yeah, that, that makes you wonder what happened. <laughs> um, and really the only conclusion I can come to is that alcohol must have been involved. And I get that from it, where it says, you know, they had a feast. The literal Hebrew word is they had a drink. Um, so alcohol was probably involved. I thought this week, you know what, maybe, maybe Jacob... Maybe Jacob's father, Isaac, was going blind, if you recall. Maybe that was a hereditary thing that was happening. It was before the invention of glasses. Jacob may have simply been farsighted. It's funny, but I'm just trying to figure out what happened here. I imagine that um, wedding veils that were used at the time were thicker than the ones we have now. It was before the invention of light bulbs. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The point is it happened, <laughs> and the text is interesting in that it doesn't explain it. It's just, it's just something that happened. And there's more to it that we talked about a few weeks ago. You're going to have to listen to that on your own another time, because right now we're actually not focusing on Jacob. Okay, what happened to Jacob? It's a curious thing, but it, I don't know. But now I actually want to, again, consider poor Leah. Poor Leah. So this is not how women dream of their marriage going down. 
and certainly not their honeymoon. He's got a seven-day honeymoon here. And for Leah, her honeymoon was with her husband, just him just waiting for the week to be over so he can marry Leah's younger sister, whom he really loves. That's her life. Yeah, so that's why I wrote down poor Leah, and that's why I thought poor Leah. And if your heart goes out to Leah, good news. God's heart goes out to Leah. And that's the next thing we see. That's the next verse we see. Actually, you know what? Let me put that on the screen. Genesis 29, verse 31 to 34. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to his son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived. And when she gave birth to his son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Poor Leah. Poor Leah. Uh, she keeps having these sons. And with each son, she's got a hope, right? She's got a hope that this is, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the, this is going to be the son that wins me the love and the attachment of my husband. That's what she wants so much. So she, she believes in God. That's good. She acknowledges, like, the Lord has saw my misery. But as of yet, her, her hope, her focus, her desire, her, the thing that is driving her in life is, if only, if only Jacob will love me. That's what she wants. So I say Leah is poor, but at the same time I say Leah is not yet poor enough. What do I mean by that? Well, we're going to take a little detour. We're going to jump into the New Testament. We're going to see a little encounter that Jesus had with some people and some things Jesus said, and then we're going to revisit Leah and what God's doing in her life. Okay? So put poor Leah on hold. Fast forward 2,000 years or so. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. All right, pause for a second. Jesus is in the beginning of telling a parable, but I want you to see the setting of what's going on here. So Jesus was invited to the home of a certain Pharisee, a certain religious leader, and you got to picture it. They're having, a, a, they're having a meal, and Jesus was a guest of honor. He was invited, and it's not only that, it's a bunch of other, you know, dignified people, and I'm laughing because I was recently invited to something like this, and my, my, it was an experience. I'm going to have to save that for another time, though. There's a story there, but I just can't get into it. <laughs> so, anyways, um, so Jesus was invited to a very fancy meal, you can guarantee that, and a certain fellow at the meal uh, he says to Jesus, well, we just read it. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about something that I talk about a lot. This guy is well aware of the great Jewish hope. And it's our hope as well. On day one, on day one, there's going to be a feast. I mean, we know when Jesus returns, day one, there's going to be a feast, a physical feast. Not just this like spiritual thing, but a physical feast with a real table, real chairs, real food. And we're going to sit down and we're going to eat it. Food's going to be good. It's going to be a party. Everyone who has fallen asleep in Christ, in hope, they will be raised. 
and they will sit at this table, and this feast is going to kick off. This is going to be the, this is going to set the tone, and this is going to kick off a never-ending party, celebration, life in the new earth. That's where heaven will be. A lot of people don't get that, but it's going to be here forever with new bodies. Food will be good. So he says this thing that's very true. Blessed is the one who is going to eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And the the NIV that we read here says Jesus replied. There's a little more to it than that, actually. Other translations catch it a little better. Other translations say, but Jesus replied, or however Jesus replied, as in Jesus is kind of correcting him a little bit. As in, well, he did say something true. I say it all the time also. This great Jewish hope of the coming feast, blessed is the one who's going to be at the feast. But Jesus replied, as in Jesus saw, there's something missing in what you're saying. There's something you're not understanding. There's something you are missing. And Jesus is going to respond to that in the telling of this parable, this story he's going to go into What's this guy missing? What's missing? What's missing from his understanding? There's something very important missing. You see it actually early on in the parable that Jesus is going to get into. Jesus says, yeah, a certain man was preparing a banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. So what's the point? Now's the time. Now. Picture this fellow. The, the, the one Jesus is talking to. He is sitting down at a table. I'm sure the food was pretty good at a feast with Jesus. Jesus is there. I've told you guys before, sometimes, especially when I'm anxious, a lot of times before I fall asleep at night, I imagine myself at a table with food and Jesus there. And I imagine Jesus asking me, hey, what's going on? And, and between me and Jesus in my mind, we have this conversation usually involves him asking a lot of questions and me telling him everything that's bothering me or I'm concerned about. It happens, that happens in my mind. And I, and I trust that's God's spirit, you know. That's, that's just how I pray sometimes. Well, this guy is actually there with Jesus at a physical table. And it's like, he is correct Blessed is the one who's going to sit at the table coming. And what Jesus is saying to him is, what about right now? The eyes of your heart, it doesn't see what's what's there right now. You see what's coming, but you don't see what's right in front of you. There is a feast to be had. There is a feast to enjoy. Later, when Jesus returns, but when Jesus came, he preached. And what he said was, repent, meaning turn, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come upon you. You know, there was this time where Jesus encountered uh, a woman he loved, Martha, and Martha said, there's going to be a resurrection at the last day. The dead will be raised. She, she mentioned the resurrection. That was a true statement. When Jesus returns, there's going to be the resurrection of those who have believed in him. But Jesus corrected her also. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Yes, 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 there is something future to drink of and to experience. But eyes of faith, sees something now. You must see him now. That's the thing that they didn't see when he was there. And thus far, thus far, poor Leah, with her heart set on her husband loving her, thus far, there's something she doesn't see. And it's the very thing that he wants all of us to see now. There's a feast to be had now. The feast is later, but you can taste it now. Okay, I'm going to help you understand this. A couple weeks ago, I got to go on a date with my wife. It was a very special date. Someone, someone 
gave us a, a, a gift card to a fancy restaurant. Thank you, by the way. You know who you are. And so we went out. And she looked beautiful. I looked okay, I suppose. <laughs> but she looked beautiful. It was a fancy restaurant. Before we got to the restaurant, before we got to the restaurant, I saw her. You know, we rode in the car together. We got to the area, and before we got to the restaurant, we walked along the water. We're not even there yet. The date in the restaurant, the, the meal hasn't even begun. But I can already taste. I, I can, the anticipation of the night, you can feel it. I can already taste it. The enjoyment has already begun. I would be a fool to be like, oh, it's nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm just waiting until I can sit down and eat the food. I would be a fool if that was my mentality. If I didn't see right away, the date begins now. The date began as soon as I saw her come down the stairs wearing a beautiful dress. The date has already begun. It doesn't wait until you get to the actual feasts. Because I could spend time with her and I could walk with her. And let me tell you what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. The Holy Spirit has been given to the world. The time to drink is now. The Holy Spirit, who is, who is called the guarantee, the foretaste of glory. Tasting the kingdom begins now. As we walk with him and we know him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now is the time. And someone is going to rightfully ask the question, how though? But how? But how do we experience, how do we drink of the Spirit? How can we taste him now? If he is to be drinking now, if he is to be experienced now, if a foretaste of the great feast can be experienced now, a good question that you should be asking is, how can I partake? How can I experience? I'm glad you asked, because we're going to see that as Jesus continues this story he's telling. So he tells a story of a, of a king who, who, who is having a party, and he invites some people, saying, now's the time. Come, now is the time. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses, the people he invited. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. All right, there's a number of things going on here. I think that last line should get your attention. And I'm going to tell you this. For those who can't see him now by faith, for those who will not come now and taste him, there is no reason that you should expect to taste the great feast later. Hear that. If you don't know him in this life, what is Jesus going to say to a lot of people? And this is rather scary. Jesus said, many will come to me saying, hey, didn't I do this or that good thing? I'm a good person. Didn't I do these good things? And what Jesus is going to say to them, I don't even know you. We've never walked together. I don't know you. Depart. There's an invitation now to know him and to walk with him. Okay, well, how do we do it then? How do we do it? This parable has a way of answering that question by telling you what not to do. So the invitation went out, right? The invitation went out, and a lot of people said, thanks, but I'm not interested in coming. Well, why not? One of them's like, hey, uh, just got these oxen. Another one, I just bought a field. Another one, I just got married. So my... 
And he can summarize it this way. What they all said is, we have other priorities. Maybe I'm just too focused on my job, too focused on my responsibilities, too focused on, on my family. I just got, got a wife. Too focused on my marriage. I'm too focused on the things of the world. Now, I'll tell you this. In order to experience him, in order to experience him, he needs to be first in our life. There needs to be a, a reprioritizing of the things we want. Because as people, specifically as sinners, what we want most in life is what the world can offer. In Leah's case, it was the love of a husband. Um, in your case, I don't know what it is. But it's something to consider. What do you want most in life? What is the thing that, 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 that gets you up out of bed in the morning that you focus on? What do you want most in life? Seriously, think about that for a moment. What do you want most in life? And I'm going to tell you, if the answer isn't Jesus and his kingdom and the great feast, what you need to do is hear the words of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It means turn. It means in, in, a, in the places of your heart, turn. And, and, and we come to Jesus, he's a savior. We come to him as sinners, and we come to him saying this. And in your heart, please say this with me. Lord Jesus, my heart is sick. I've noticed my heart is sick. I've noticed that I want things more than I want you. The invitation has gone out, but I've decided to not go in my heart because I'm focused on other things, whether it's my job or my family or the hope I have of my husband Jacob loving me someday. I'm focused on other things, so I'm not interested in leaving that in the place of my heart and seeking you first. You see, we need him as Savior. We need him to fix that. But the good news, he responds to those who call upon him as Savior. For those who say, Jesus, save me. Save me from this sickness. In the story, uh, when the people said, we're all busy, we're all busy, don't want to come, got other things going on. Uh, the master the king said, go into the streets and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The idea is they don't have anything else going on. They're not going to say no. This idea of, of, the, of the poor and the blind and the lame and such, it's not speaking of those who are necessarily physically poor and physically lame and physically crippled. When Jesus arose and started preaching. He said, blessed are those who, who are poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, that's just the work that God is doing in Leah's heart. To be poor in spirit is to come to a place where you're like, I got nothing. I have nothing in life that's really going to make me happy. And so when the invitation comes to come and delight in him, you understand, I'm, I'm willing to leave what I got because I don't have much. The things that I have aren't really going to satisfy me. And that's the place that we need to get to. And that's what God is, is doing for poor Leah. He wants to bring her to that place where she can see he's the only thing that's going to make her happy. Only things that, that's going to satisfy. Well, look at the next thing Jesus said. You get to verse 25, and it says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So now Jesus is breaking it down. He's taking the story just told, and now he's just saying it to the people. And it is a weird choice of words for us, for sure, if you listen to what he said. I mean, this, this doesn't sound like something Jesus would say, does it? If anyone comes to me and does not hate their father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, I mean... Aren't we supposed to love those people? Aren't we supposed to love our, our father, mother, you know, 
children? Yes, yes, of course you are. So what is Jesus talking about? Um, well, interestingly, it connects to the, the story of Leah and, and, and Jacob and Rachel in some ways. Because in the, in the Hebrew, it says that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. That's what it says. We read that. Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. And the next verse in the Hebrew, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated. And there's this idea that we have something we love the most. And in comparison to that, everything else is hated. It means everything else needs to be forsaken for the thing that we love most. God has made us this way, where there's going to be something that we are willing to forsake all other things for. Okay? And he's saying, it, it has to be me. It ha in comparison to me, everything else must be hated. I'll give you another example. It's a poor example, but it's the best I can come up with. So my wife and I, we did go on this wonderful date to this fancy restaurant. And you know the thing is, we actually got that gift certificate like a year ago. Like a long time ago, we got this gift certificate. And why did it take us so long to go out to this fancy restaurant together? Well, we've got a lot of kids. And we got a lot of little kids. And you know something? I love hanging out with the children. I love getting off work. And you know, have these little children in my arms. And, and I love that. And so I get done with work, it's like, oh, I want to cook and I want to hang out with my family, hang out with the little children, right? And so that was kind of like every day, every day, every day. But it was like, it came to a time where it's like, you know what? I want to go on a date with my wife. And in order to do that, in order to do that, I need to forsake the little children. You know what I mean? I need to say, today, you are not my priority. I needed, to, I needed to reprioritize the things in my heart, right? Here's how it is with the Lord. If you want to enjoy him, if you want to experience him, in that way, you need to cast aside, cast aside, push it away, push it down. He says even your own life. And it would, what it means is like the things that you want, the thing that you want most, push it aside and put me there. That's the work of reprioritizing that needs to happen in our hearts if we want to taste him in this life and taste him forever and, and be at our place in the kingdom, at the table, at the feasts. A reprioritizing of our hearts, putting him first, seeking him. Let's, let's return to our, 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 our friend Leah because God's at work in her life, I'll tell you. So... I'm going to read this part again. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. So each time, each time, she acknowledges God, like God's helping me, God's helping me. But what is her heart really fixed on? Her heart is really fixed on her husband loving her. That's what her hope is. That is, that is the priority of her heart. Yes, yes, she acknowledges God but she's not yet tasting his goodness because she keeps going back. Her heart keeps going back to focusing on this hope, this hope that for years now has failed to satisfy. Is that you? Is that you? Have you set the eyes of your heart upon a hope that fails to satisfy, but you keep going back to it, you keep going back to it, you keep going back to it. This time, this time it will satisfy it's a human condition. It truly is. Well, poor Leah, poor Leah. Something happened after that third son. After that third son of Jacob not loving her in a way that really satisfied her. Something happened where poor Leah became poor Leah. Because look what happened next. Verse 35, she conceived again. 
And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. You see, she realized last time it wasn't working. This time I'm just going to praise God. And you know something? That, that is tasting his goodness. Do you know that we're supposed to praise God? Have you heard that? Have you heard that? We're supposed to praise God? I hope so. Supposed to worship him? You know what worship means? Worship means to ascribe worth. As in, in our hearts, we are supposed to consider him more worthy of everything else. And we're supposed to worship him. We're supposed to praise him. And praise can be one of two things. It can be a boring duty that you resent and you don't really want to do it, but it is a duty. And if praise is your duty, then you don't know what praise is. But the praise that God desires, what did Jesus say? The Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Meaning, a heart that understands and a heart that experiences the joy of God. So we're not praising him because it's our religious duty, but we are praising him out of joy because we taste, because we experience I will tell you this, when Leah said this time, I will praise the Lord, finally, poor Leah has been found and invited to the feast, and she finally responded. She finally said, I'm coming. I am not going to stay here waiting for my husband to love me. I'm going to come now, and I'm going to praise him. I'm going to experience him. And you know what? I read it earlier. God, he takes the poor and he raises them to a throne of honor. This boy, Judah, Jacob ended up with 12 sons, you know, but this one, Judah, from him, from him would come all the kings in Israel. From him would come the king, Jesus I'm just going to pray. Father God, do this work in our hearts, Lord. Save us. Save us from constantly trying to focus first on the things of the world, which will never satisfy our hearts. Save us from that, Lord. Save us. Change our hearts. Help us see you as better, as more important, more enjoyable. Help us have eyes of faith that see Lord, and satisfy us. Help us see you and praise you, Lord, like Leah did. Um, if needed, make us poor so that we're able to see through the lies of this world and put our trust in you, God. Um, let us experience the feast. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. We're now going to have a time of uh, question and answer. If you have any question that came to mind while Charlie was speaking, just raise your hand. There's going to be a uh, mic in the room that's going to be brought to you. Excuse me. Um, or if you'd rather not speak into a mic or you're joining us online, feel free to text the number on the screen. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have my phone on me and I'll receive the questions. So... Uh, yeah, any, any questions in the room? Uh, oh, no, that was not a hand up for a question. I have a question. So when you talked about, like, taking delight in the Lord, um, basically kind of like pruning off the, the things that are getting in the way of taking delight in the Lord, how do you do that, like, for real and sustainably, like, over, over a long time, where it's not just a, like, once in a while, I'll take delight in the Lord, but it's a consistent, ongoing, everyday part of life? Yeah, good question. So, um, in the parable that we saw, it was really a lesson in, in, in what not to do in this regard, 
Jesus is enjoyable, okay? His spirit is enjoyable. If you experience him, you're going to have joy. You're going to have delight. So if you're not experiencing him, then there's the question of why. And a lot of times, um, the, the thing that stands between us and experiencing him, the thing that stands between, very often it's just we have our hopes set on something else. And so the way to bridge that is, well, you can say it this way, is um, confession. I don't mean like, you know, like going to a priest and going into a booth, if that's what you think of when I say confession. Um, I mean simply saying to God, Lord, help me, forgive me. I find myself focused on this, chasing after this. I don't have the joy of you. And a lot of times the reason we don't have the joy in God is because in our hearts we're not seeking him. But make no mistake, when Jesus said, all who seek find, he meant that. That's true. Um, so I would probably say the first thing perhaps is to ask. <laughs> ask God, like, Lord, have I been prioritizing something above you? It can, it can trick you because sometimes the things that you're prioritizing are good things. Okay? Like as a pastor, it's really easy for me to like prioritize like the work of God. I'd be like, hey, hey, I'm not happy. This is actually a, a really, sadly, a common thing. A lot of times you have pastors who are very unhappy people. <laughs> um, and they work really hard for God. But they're not actually enjoying God. And so, like, even that good thing of doing the Lord's work can be a hindrance in our hearts to actually enjoying him. So I would say um, confession, meaning going to God and just saying, Lord, reveal my heart to me. And these things that I, I'm prioritizing above you, Lord, change, change me. This is, this is the very good news. God does not leave us to change our hearts on our own. Because sometimes, a lot of times, those things that we really want, those things that we're chasing after, they're so connected to our heart that it's not it's so simple to just be like, oh, I'll just... I'll just stop that. I'll just start focusing on something else. It's like so much part of us that it's like, oh, Lord, I don't know how to lay this down. I don't know how to turn from this. But he's a savior. And, and, and what we can say is, Lord, help me. That's really good. Thank you. Uh, we actually just got a question on the text line that's uh, related and goes deeper into the, the concept of um, prioritizing things that are good yeah. and valuable. It says, if you always put God first, as we must, ultimately, then how do you bring up your children? How do you prioritize them as well so that they don't feel unloved or uncared for? Great, great question. Great question. Um, and that's really, uh, it, it, it's kind of a, a paradox, but it's similar when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the rest shall be given to you. As in... Um, like in the example that I gave, it's like, all right, tonight I'm going to leave the kids at home and I'm going to go out with, with my wife. I'm going to leave them. I'm not going to prioritize them tonight. I'm going to prioritize something else. But here's something that's true. And actually, it, it was a sermon that was preached at my wedding almost 20 years ago. Uh, what the pastor said was the best thing that a father can do for his children is to love their mother. It's the best thing that you can do. As in, me prioritizing my wife is going to have its overflow onto the kids of them just living in a secure home where that's the case. And I can tell you this. If you prioritize God above your wife, above your husband, above your children, you are actually going to be loving them more by doing that. The love that's going to flow through you as you know him and experience him is going to be better than what you could do for them if you put them first. That's just very often how it works. Um, we put God first. It's kind of uh, uh, often 
the way we talk about giving and generosity. People will say, how can I give when I'm already struggling? How can I give and how can I be generous? And there's this idea of put God first. Trust him with your money. Trust him with your material things. And you're going to see, do that first. And there's more than enough for all the other things that life might need. Um, I'll, oh, yeah, you guys can clap if you want. Um, Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is there a question in the room anywhere? If not, we've got a couple more on the uh, text line, but I wanted to see if anyone else was in the room. All right, so we got one that says, I get it. Um, individually, we must prioritize God and his kingdom, but how much do we do that as a church, a community, and the Lord's family? Or sorry, but how do we do that as a church, a community, the Lord's family, I mean in a practical way. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Always the questions of being practical. I'll be honest, a lot of times, like, when I think and I preach, it's like, I'm focused on the heart, focused on the things that happens in the heart, and the way that manifests is kind of secondary to me, but it is a good question. It is a good question. And the answer is lots of things, okay? Lots of things. And I'll tell you this, if we have the heart right, I'm convinced that if we are doing it in our hearts, the overflow is going to come out the way that it needs to. Um, the, the main work that I'm encouraging you to do today is the work of the heart. Confessing to him, asking him to change what you can't change on your own, asking him to be Lord of our heart. How that's going to manifest can mean lots of different things. Um, I, w- I could start listing things, but the, the list could go on and on, and it might be different. It might be really different. Like me prioritizing God in my life and in my family might mean something very different than you. Perhaps me putting God first is going to mean I'm going to go out with my wife and I'm going to leave my kids at home. For you, it might be I'm going to start working less and I'm going to hang out with my kids more. For you, it might be I'm going to start working more. I can't give you the answer to what that's going to mean for you specifically because it it could look really different. Um, One thing that we've been talking about a lot and I'm very excited about is this fall when we kick off all our Welcome Wednesdays, that is something that is going to be costly, as in we're asking everyone to be involved helping. But it's going to be worth it. It's going to be a priority we're going to have to make, okay? But, uh, but what I foresee coming from it, it's going to be a, a weekly feast. You know that? I actually wanted to call it like Wednesday feast or whatever. It was one of the ideas. But it was like maybe it didn't communicate everything where you wanted to communicate. But the idea is like we're going we're gonna to eat together. We're going to hang out. We're going to have a foretaste of what this kingdom is going to look like, this, this great feast uh, each week. So it means different things for different people in different churches at different times. But you focus on the heart. 